0: according to callus this is going to be an interesting episode I'm going to entitle it life after row so without a doubt I've been staunchly pro-life uh, for as long as I can remember um, I think my daughters won up to me significantly in this uh, arena. And even in my most libertarian thought processes back in, you know, the last 30 years, if you will, I never really gave adequate thought, in my opinion, in the last month or so that I've been kind of kicking this around in my head off and on. What do we do now? I mean, I don't think... I'm alone in not giving consideration to the consequences or the outcome of abortion becoming illegal. I mean, it's right, It's the right thing to do. It, it, it's absolutely the correct answer. You choose life. But the opponents have got us tied up in knots for decades just trying to get this one thing accomplished. I wonder, did we ever stop to think what would happen if we accomplished our goal? That doesn't mean that anybody wants to change their mind. It doesn't mean that anybody rejects or regrets the decision. But... I hope That we had the win Now that we have some answers And that we don't go through the same path that We Did when we uh, won the Presidential election in 2020 I'm sorry (laughs) Freudian slip there 2016 And we had both seats of Congress And for whatever reason we couldn't find a way To deal with The Affordable Care Act We couldn't come up with an other option, if you will. We completely dropped the ball. Now, I know there's been plenty of people that have been working on that, but they didn't have anything figured out. And what's really interesting about this whole thing is every time there's a crisis or a problem or um, somebody exploits something, Q and Uvalde here, they have ready-made legislation that they throw it upon it to solve the problem Which it never solves it In fact, someone say it makes it worse And it's by design But without going down that rabbit trail Or even giving credence to the idea It's it, I can't get past the overwhelming feeling That we're about to drop the ball In the most enormous Terrifying way So if we review, we've had 50 years of legalized murder. 50 years. Over the 50 years, the the conservative estimate is 60 million dead. Now, I will admit that this disproportionately affects minority communities, but I still think the overwhelming majority of Abortions were from white people, just to be blunt about it. So, if we take 60 million over 50 years, ballparking that's 1.5 million per year. Now, I know I might have uh, gone over this once in one of my previous podcasts, and nothing's changed in the way I feel about it, but I got the sinking feeling. That now that we've got the goal attained, we don't have a plan. We don't have an answer. And we're going to look like, for lack of a better word, idiots. So if we take 1.5 million and we divide that by 50 states, right? And that's going to give you, let's call it 30,000. I think I th- 30 K per state, but Texas is large and Texas is one of the ones that made it illegal. So just for hypothetical purposes, we're going to triple that number. We're going to assume that there's not 30,000 abortions in, I don't know, Vermont or Wyoming, but we'll just, well, no, you know what? We'll go ahead and quadruple it. Let's say there's 120 K. It's a nice round number. That's per year for Texas. Because Texas, you know, we're all in. We've abolished it, as we should. Now, if we take that and divide it by 12 months, there's 12 months in a year, so that leaves us with 10,000 babies being born a month. Now, if we've got 10,000 babies a month coming... uh, into Texas through natural birth. Are we prepared for that? And if we extrapolate out 10,000, divide that by 30, I imagine that means... uh, Shoot, I'm sorry. I'm drawing a blank here. Let me uh, whip out the little phone here. Let's just say... For argument's sake, that's 335 a day. So, dividing that over every county, what is it, 254 counties, and that's not a fair dispersal, but just for argument's sake, let's call it two kids per county. Now, I'm also going to just take a wild guess that there's at least... Two churches per county. Maybe you're seeing where I'm going with this. Somebody said that there's one church per child, and that we can handle this. Okay, great. So here's where I'm going to go with this. We obtained our goal. Abortion's illegal in Texas. Now what? How are we going to handle this? So. I will freely admit this is somebody's post off of North Texas politics, and I don't know this person, and I don't know that this person wants me to give credit where credit is due, but I will say that a number of the questions here do directly overlap with the ones that I had, and I just thought it'd be more interesting and, I don't know, add a little flavor if I work off of these questions and then add whichever ones of mine are not included, And let me also state, for the record, this is an extremely emotional topic. And I've been sitting for hours trying to figure out how do I do this in an objective point of view and try and stay somewhat dispassionate. I mean, anybody who's listened to my show knows I can be quite passionate. So, how do I make this happen? So, let me just start by... I guess question number one. And I I guess these are less questions and more almost accusations. And I don't take fault for that. So we're going to say this is the most extreme example. A 12-year-old forced to go have her uncle's baby. Who's going to adopt it? Now this child from incest is going to likely have defects. Who's going to deal with that? What is going to be the process? Do we have insurance on board? Will they agree to pay? And if they are on board, uh, what is that going to do to our otherwise uh, (laughs) unreasonably high insurance uh, bills? And this child could easily exceed the lifetime limit with the insurance. Okay, well, first of all, let me back up the train here. So I know that maybe 1%, and I think that's high, but just maybe 1% of the abortions are from incest situations. I would be willing to bet that in the scenario she has laid out here, those children are pretty much already born as it is. And it's usually in communities that cover it up and hide it and they have their own reasons for doing this. So I, I would really say this is kind of a stretch. It's a fair question. And let me extrapolate this out to where I really think it needs to go, in my opinion. Right now, when people think they're going to have a baby born with disabilities, a good number of them are disposed of before birth. So now we're going to have maybe two or three times number of children born with defects And I'm just trying to be clinical here because, again, it's extremely emotional. And what are we going to do with that? I mean, we already have a financial burden dealing with the limited number that go through the full term now. If we triple that, are we going to be able to afford that? Are we going to be able to swing that? I mean, even if you factor that there's, uh, let's call it 12 really big counties in... uh, Texas that can take on a burden. When you're looking at 335 a day and you got 12 counties, I mean, that's 30 a day. I mean, I guess there's some doctors somewhere that would be quite happy to have that many kids in the NICU. And I guess there's an insurance company out there that probably be willing to jack our rates up enough to compensate for it. But I really don't see how we're doing anybody a service by doing that. But again, uh, that That's really the underlying question here. I think that's what the authors are really concerned about is you're going to have more cases of children that have genetic defects or abnormalities and how are we going to take care of them? And I can tell you that uh, though I don't have any direct... Uh, detailed information. I can say that I have secondary information that has been cleaned up because of HIPAA and just people's privacy. There already are lots of examples of this that exist. And honestly, the impression I have is when you have a parent that has a child that has an abnormality a lot of them want everything done to save that child because they're not thinking rationally. They're trying to preserve their child. And after that's done, there's an enormous cost involved with that. And in many cases, the hospital or the doctors or whatever else has to eat it or we, the state, pay for it. But I would say that if perhaps we were a little more compassionate and we spent a little more time with the parents and let them know that, I'm sorry, but that, that defect, now that the child's been born and taken to a full term and we see your child and we we're caring for it, but it's just not compatible with life. And you bring their priest or their pastor or whatever in to talk with them and relate with them and let those parents come to the conclusion on their own that, they're torturing the baby i'm confident that the vast majority are going to make the right choice but to treat it anyway less is just not to be what a doctor ought to be <sighs> the next one uh, i'm just going to pass over uh, i don't it's not really relevant <laughs> and then the question is who's going to pay for all this If we look at the state of Texas' large family, it's reasonable to assume medical bills will be leaping to higher numbers. Well, yes and no. I think I've addressed that. It's a fair question. There used to be charity hospitals. They're not anymore. They used to have nuns that worked for free in those charity hospitals. And we don't anymore. I would suggest... That if somebody didn't have to go in a quarter million dollars for the debt to become a medical doctor, they might be willing to donate some more time to the cause. Perhaps the issue is the cheap money that caused doctors to become so expensive and rare. That is an underlying issue, but that's not pertinent to what we're talking about here in making abortion illegal. And what does it look like for state hospitals if a woman doesn't have coverage and means she's going to go to the ER for regular checkup? Well, yes and no. We already have things in place for this. They already are taking care of them. That's kind of a moot point. And, oh, well, here we go. In the case of rape. Now, here's, you know, this is the other thing. First of all, I think the pro-life argument has been dealing with the rape and incest exceptions forever. And I think most... Pro-lifers just got tired of it and they said, fine, fine, of course. If mom's raped or it's an incest issue and they want to kill their baby, we're not even going to argue with that with you. Well, number one, I think that's a mistake. But I totally understand the method is. You're trying to make law that deals with the regular, everyday, normal operations of life. And you can't take something that equates to 2% or less of things And make it the rule rather than the exception. So I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say the exception to the rule is irrelevant. And obviously, if you actually punish rapists, let's call it punctually and permanently, this is going to solve itself. Somebody gets convicted of rape, snip, snip, and they don't have that problem anymore. Yes, I know it's permanent. Yes, I know it's painful, and and it should be. I don't know that I'm excited about the idea of the death penalty for a rapist, but something less than that, where they're just not physically able to ever rape anybody again, seems like a very good median place to start. All right, so we're going to see an increase in prisons... Because babies born from rape. Okay, so first of all, rape kits are an issue, not necessarily related to the abortion problem. And, you know, bad people are going to still do bad things. Again, that's punish that problem, don't punish the child. When you have a child that has separate DNA, which has long ago been established, mama's body is now a carrying case. For lack of a better way to explain it, I think uh, there's um, quite the famous libertarian that uses the analogy of you took somebody up in the balloon with you. And while technically it's your balloon, and you should be able to determine what you did with the balloon. Now that you've taken a passenger, you can't just throw them out because it's inconvenient. I think that's fair enough. Well, and now we got to bring up the CPS because, well, you know, we're going to need more people for the CPS. Well, that's a fair point, and CPS is already a nightmare, so I'm not really sure. And then, of course, correctly brings up the in vitro vertilo- in vitro, in, in intro uh whatever, people that get uh, the baster, right? We want in vitro fertilization. They create eight babies and tell you you should only keep two. What about those six? now i personally know a person that opted not to have children because that would have been the outcome that's a brutal thing to put on somebody that's cares about unborn babies i just and uh, we got a couple other things here that are not really relevant And, oh, here we go, when we force raped women to have babies they don't want, will there be laws protecting them from such things that often come with having a baby? Such as, well, job, not be in jeopardy for time off. Well, this has already been taken care of. This is, again, a moot point. And, again, 1%. 1% of pregnancies that are terminated are as a result of rape. We're looking at the exception to the rule. Not to say that those people don't deserve to be taken care of and consideration. But I also will just resort back to the old line that every mother's child should have been heard when every child would have heard from their mother. How about that? We'll go with that direction. Every mother would have told their child, two wrongs don't make a right. So somebody raped you, you're impregnated, which is rare, but it does occur. Do you think by executing the baby you're not, well, I don't know, perhaps... Making additional trauma, causing additional problems for that potential mother? I don't know. But if you're going to go that direction, you have to also consider that while it might be traumatic to carry a baby to term and deliver it, and there might be some trauma, no, I'm not going to say might. There is trauma related to that, and there is trauma related to giving up your baby for adoption. I would assume. And for you counselors that may be listening out there, that that is far less traumatic than killing your baby and knowing for the rest of your life, not only were you a rape victim, you were a murderer. Just saying. And we can color it and put sugar on it and pretend that's not what it is. But any mother that's carried a baby knows full well what she's carrying. All right. Now, the RU482, I I guess that's where this is going. You know, the rape kit. Okay, you overdose on these drugs and man, this kind of gets in the argument of fertilization versus implantation. And I got to say, again, we're using the exception to the rule to create law rather than create law and allow for exceptions. If somebody's raped and they take that drug and they never actually know whether or not they're impregnated, then they can at least have a clean conscience. I think even the great Ron Paul had to cede that point that if you were raped and you took these drugs immediately after that or the following day and there's a possibility that the baby's not even there and you'll never know, Man, that's icky. But I can at least wrap my head around that. And I I'm not, and, and this is the other thing. Let me finish this. <laughs> and of course, who's going to pay all of this? Yeah, okay, fine. And now here we go. The God Complex Cops Pulling Over People Heading to Another State for an Abortion. That's actually one of the questions that I had. and That's one of the questions I brought brought up at the platform committee. Clearly, people have a right to travel. And we know that people travel and they do things. I imagine right now people go to Oklahoma or Colorado or Washington so they can go take part in whatever drug fest they want to and be legal when they do it. And then they come back to their home state, Texas, for instance, and go about their life. Go back to normal. I know that people go to the casinos in Las Vegas and gamble and some hook up with um, women of the evening, both of which are at least in theory, illegal in Texas, but we don't chase those people down either. <sighs> I get it. I don't want to build a police state to prevent abortions. Yes, murder's murder. But we don't create a police state to stop, you know, Mark from killing John. From, we don't want a police state to prevent Peter from doing something to Paul. I really don't want to create a police state to prevent Mary Sue from going over to Illinois to kill her baby. She's really creating enough trauma on herself that's going to last for the rest of her life. (sighs) There are some really, really damaged and evil individuals that enjoy what they're doing. I got impregnated, I killed my baby. Or I got impregnated and I donated my baby to be executed. However you want to look at it, however courts you want to be, the vast majority of the people that get in this position are there because they were irresponsible. And they escape any responsibility by terminating a pregnancy. So they've created two wrongs to get their right outcome. I don't know how that does anybody a favor. I don't know how that's positive for anybody. But right now, thanks to Roe v. Wade being kicked out for the fraud that it is, we now have the ability to deal with it in Texas. And I know the Texas legislature has pretty much zero interest in punishing the the mothers or the potential mothers. And even with the heartbeat law, that's really about going after doctors, providers that are going to be performing illegal procedures at this point. In some cases, it can truly be said two victims going to the abortions office one gets killed and the other leaves scarred for life. And once again, I would remind you that we don't make law based on the exceptions to the rule. And I've got to believe the women that were used as examples for celebrating killing their baby as yet unborn are the exceptions to the rule. We don't want to create a law that looks to turn on the exceptions to the rule we want to persuade people and prevent people from making what is not even a life-altering but a life-destroying decision we want to encourage them to do the right thing and we we're supposed to be teaching absence we're supposed to be raising our children right so they don't do these things but they do people make mistakes people are irresponsible. This has always happened. This has been part of the fabric of society since society began. And just because you created a law, it's not going to fix the problem, but at least we're not going to reward and protect bad behavior anymore. So really the underlying issue is we got what we wanted. Now what? You're going to have to deal with the real possibility that every day you're going to have 300 people that are in a situation where they have a pregnancy that they don't want for whatever reason. And what's we, what's the best way to care for that is the question. Do we have an answer? Now, I know that Prestonwood Church, for instance, has not one but two clinics to help mothers or potential mothers that to get them through the hard spot, to help them and get them set up. But our culture is the underlying shortcoming here. Our culture where we don't train up people to be adults and take care of their families. We perpetuate the fatherless family by having government entities pay people to not get married. We pay them and reward them for having additional children without a father. And we wonder why they act feral. We wonder why they don't know social norms or right from wrong. Because we've broken the family. So we got this giant win, but we didn't fix the underlying issue. We're not addressing the problem. The church should have been doing this for the last 50 years. We get credit for standing up for the unborn babies, but did we address the underlying problem? We've allowed government to replace fathers. We're okay with that because everybody gets their cut. That's a mistake. I'm here to tell you that we had to address that. And while we're on the topic, yes, there is an expense. And even the most conservative conservative that wants no government in your life will say, well, if we're paying for it, we get to make the rules. If we're going to pay for it, we get to make our say known. Okay, yeah, I get that. Government created, perpetuated, and built upon the problem. Perhaps if we, I don't know, incentivized people to not make bad mistakes. We incentivized people to get married and have families and stay stable. I don't know, maybe if we got government out of people's lives, not controlling marriages, not controlling families, not controlling the schools, the churches would step back up and do the job they used to do. But instead, we've got a whole bunch of churches that are afraid to do anything that might be perceived as illegal because of the Johnson Amendment. They've got their 501c3 status and they must protect that above all else. And how are they serving their people? Now, i got to say, the Catholic Church has really led the way here. And though I'm not Catholic, I give kudos to the Catholics around the world that have stood against abortion. I give credit to the Catholics that have prayed and done their 40 days for life and they've done the life chain and they've stood in front of those clinics and there were Protestants there too. But now your leader, (laughs) I'm really tempted to call him what I think he is, but we'll just go with the apostate Pope. And I've talked to a number of, People that I know that are Catholic that would consider themselves good Catholics, and they're kind of comfortable with saying he's an apostate. So we'll go with apostate pope. He's been silent on this issue. I mean, when Ireland upturned millennia's of under, you know, and made it legal to kill your baby in the womb, there was barely a peep out of the pope. Yet now that we've done the right thing, legally speaking, in the States, there's no applause. There's nobody saying we did the thing. Oh, well, don't worry. We got the Europeans saying we've taken a step back and we got the <clears throat> Castro baby up in Canada worried about what we're going to do to our country. But here's the, here's the thing. Perhaps if we weren't taking in, I don't know, 30,000 people a month from another country, to fill the hole that we created by killing all of our own babies, we wouldn't have this problem. Perhaps social security wouldn't be bankrupt if we, I don't know, had intact families that had children and grew them up. I mean, social security was always a Ponzi scheme and was always going to go under, but eh, they might've been able to perpetuate it a little bit longer. The reality is, is we've done the right thing, but do we have the right answers? How are we going to deal with Might I suggest, churches, this is our time to shine. Take the step of faith. Go out there. Open up more clinics. Look after these mothers. I mean, we've always cared for single moms. We've always looked out for the orphans. Well, we need to step it up. We've created an additional issue. It's a good issue. At least we're not killing our babies anymore, but we have to look out after them. We have to do. And you know, and I, I've always wondered, what is it that makes the majority of the evangelical churches silent on this issue? Why do they refuse to address it boldly and often? Why is it that the Catholics took the lead on this? And I wonder, I wonder if it doesn't have to do something with the people in the pews. I wonder if it isn't maybe a little bit of fear on the part of the pastors. I wonder if it isn't already, well, actually, let me back up. I wonder if it doesn't just always go down to the lowest common denominator, money. They're afraid they're not going to get their donations if they remind their people that killing your babies is wrong. There are so many other issues that the evangelical church in particular has been weak on. This should have been a no-brainer. This should have been an easy slam dunk. And I remember as a child, every once in a while, you get a pastor that would say, yeah, this is wrong, we shouldn't be doing this, and moved on, along with a list of other things that we as good Christians ought not do. But now, barely a peep, what happened? I mean, I look at a guy and and I'm going to pick on him because I kind of think he's a fraud anyway. But Joel Olstein down there in Houston, you know, he's got his millions and his plane and his mansions and thousands of people that show up at his church. I wonder, and I don't know, and maybe he does. And in which case, then I will applaud him if somebody should tell me this is the case. But does he have a number of clinics that are out there? based upon his church, that they help fund and that they look out for these people? and I don't know. Church like that, it seems to me, maybe they've got enough people they could start their own hospital. Or, I mean, let's be honest. How many of us go to a church with 500,000 people? How many of those churches could throw in league within a group, I don't know, like the SBC, and form their own hospital to take care of these people, the indigent, the needy, the least of these, when has that even happened? I talked about this once before. I've talked about this in a private discussion. When in the last hundred years have the American Church done this? They ceded all of that to government? And where has that got us? Have we had anything good come out of the fact that government's doing these things? I think the answer is easy. No, we have not. I think the answer is obvious. No, we have not. So what are we going to do about it? This is the opportunity. We have an opportunity to step up, do the right thing, and lead the way. The question is, we've had 50 years to prepare for this. We've had 50 years to work on this. Do we have an answer? Are we going to do something about this? Are we going to lead the way? Or are we going to stumble and fumble? Are we going to be bad witnesses? For lack of a better way of putting it, the failure to lead is the failure of leadership. Do We need to replace some of our leaders. I don't know. I, this is just the things I'm thinking about because while I'm excited that we fixed the law, while I'm excited that the Supreme Court actually did the right thing for, you know, once in a blue moon, and while I'm excited that Texas is ahead of the curve on this specific issue, I want to make sure that we're going to do the right thing. Are we, are we prepared to deal with the fallout and the consequences of this? Are we going to step up or are we going to go run and hide? The accusation has always been that you care for the babies before they're born but not after they're born. Are we going to allow that to stand? Are we going to just accept that that's the way it was and that's what we always wanted? I, for one, am not happy with that. I don't think that's the right answer. I don't think that's satisfactory, but I'm just one person on a podcast in McKinney, Texas. And I'm asking these questions because I'm hoping somebody out there hears me, somebody out there has a solution or a possible solution, or I don't know, has enough money to build a hospital or a care clinic or something. Are we going to make a step in faith to do this? I don't know. I mean, we spend billions of dollars messing around in every other country in the world. We spend billions of dollars dealing with people that quite frankly are not our responsibility. We need to take care of our own. We need to lead by example. Are we willing to do it? Is the church going to step up? Because we know darn sure the government's going to to do it. Oh, and if they do, oh, those consequences will be far worse than the original problem. So I ask you, do we have an answer? Are we prepared to get an answer? What are we going to do? If you found this, I don't know, interesting, fair minded I'd ask you to subscribe I'd ask you to share at least this episode I'd ask you to consider coming back for the next time around I'd ask you to make a comment and if you've got answers make those comments there's a like button somewhere use it and with that this is According to Callus and I just want to say Final, why has the church been so silent on this? What's wrong with our church? And not specifically my church. No, I mean the American church. Why? Just consider the implications of that. I will see you on the other side.